Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Amen. Good morning, Grace. Let's open our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. While you're making your way there, the reason we can have joy is because of a few phrases that we just heard, is that the glories of his righteousness that come from God, this alien foreign righteousness that every single one of us needs to be made right with God, it comes from Jesus Christ, and it's because of the wonders of his love that we get that because he is so good. And so my prayer for you today is if you are not a Christian, you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you would come to understand why we can have so much joy. I pray that you would understand the gospel, that God would open your eyes, and that you would turn from your sins and trust in him and be made right with God. That's what life is about. That's what we'll see in today's passage. Luke chapter 1, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonders of your love, the glories of your righteousness, they come to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, through his perfect life and perfect death and perfect resurrection, God, and all of his life flows to us, God, and through us, and we can sing with joy, unspeakable joy, because of him. And we can have joy rising up in our soul, God, because of him. We thank you for your Spirit's work in our life and drawing us to yourself. Would you uh, open our eyes this morning to see wonderful truths out of your word and we'd be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we begin our Christmas series today. Uh, I've titled it The Christmas Drama, and that's what we're going to see as this Christmas drama unfolds in the narrative of Luke, the Christmas story uh, that has been in planned in eternity past. In Luke 1 and 2, we see that this eternal plan of God begins to unfold. Um, Part of this grand story from way back when, when, when we were never around, when it was just the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they covenanted together and they had this plan to redeem sinners from every tribe and every nation and every race and every tongue and to gather them around his throne to rejoice and to be glad and to sing forever. That's the Christmas drama. And that's what we see in Luke chapter 1 and 2 today unfolding. That can only happen for any sinner in this world because of Jesus Christ, that he died in our place to bring us to God. And so we'll see the events of the Christmas drama here today uh, unfolding. It's the bigger story of life. It's what's happening uh, in the world, whether we know it or not. And we're going to see two old people today in Luke chapter 1 whose lives intersect with this grand Christmas drama, with this grand narrative that's been happening since eternity past. We're going to see their lives kind of intersect and blend in with God's bigger story. And we're going to learn that our lives should do the same. The sad thing today, though, and the travesty is that so many Christians live their lives and they're disconnected from God's bigger story that's been happening since eternity past. The sad thing is that most people don't care or they're just indifferent to it. That God has always had a plan to save sinners fallen human beings from every tribe and every race and every nation and every tongue and to bring them into his presence 
and to bask in his presence with joy and to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's what the big story of the Bible is about. That's what this church should be about. That's what your life should be about. Did you wake up this morning and say, my life is a chapter in the greater story, the greater drama that is happening, and I should be involved in that drama? It's a travesty if we don't live that way. The whole Bible is moving toward this one thing, to see the nations enjoying and glorifying the triune God forever. That's what it's about. It's what your life should be about. It's what my life should be about. Quick word here about the preface in Luke 1 through 4 that I read earlier. Uh, Luke is writing his gospel account to a man named Theophilus to reassure him that the things that he is writing in the book of Luke are true, that Jesus Christ did fulfill all the promises that were spoken of him in the Old Testament, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. And Luke is writing Theophilus and he says, I want you to be certain that these things are true and that God's story is unfolding as it has been in eternity past, and it's right on track. Now, about the text at hand, what we'll see in our verses today, verses 5 through 25, we'll see that God is gracious. God's grace is all over this passage. He is graciously fulfilling his promises. He is graciously fulfilling his plan, and he graciously invites fallen sinners to join him in his plan in taking the gospel to the world and accomplishing his plans. The main truth that we'll see here today is this. The Lord uses common people in hopeless positions who faithfully pray and act on his kingdom promises. The Lord uses common people like you and like me who are oftentimes in hopeless positions and places and predicaments and situations in their lives. But he uses those kind of people who faithfully pray and act and believe on his kingdom promises. Look at verses 5 through 6. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. All right, let's get our historical bearings here before we begin. We come to the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, and we start to scratch our heads and say, what about all the promises of the Messiah who was to come and redeem Israel and to set them free from their oppressors? At this time that this is occurring in Luke 1 in Zechariah's name, in Zechariah's day, uh, the people of Israel were under the oppressive control of the Roman government. They, weren't, they were in the land, but they weren't enjoying freedom. They were under the oppressive control of Rome, and they were beginning to wonder, what about the promises of the Messiah's coming? What about God's story to save a people for his glory for eternity? What's happened to that? Has it, the story been derailed? Has the book been closed? Where are the promises of his coming? Are they being fulfilled? And that's where we land in these verses but even though the times are dark and there's an oppressive government and it seems like God has forgotten his people, he has not. In fact, his attention is on his people. His attention is not on Herod, the great ruler who ruled from 37 BC to 4 AD. Herod was a powerful ruler, but he only serves as the backdrop in this passage as to what God was doing. The camera of the Lord is filming the reality show of his own story. And it's happening right there in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, 
there was a priest named Zechariah. God is focusing on his people. He's focusing on his temple. That's where God's camera is directed. That's where his attention is directed. The worship of God by the people of God in the temple of God is what has God's attention. Sure, God knows Herod. God knows what's happening in his life. But God's focus is here on his people. Because that's what matters most. So what matters most in life is not what you see on Fox News or MSNBC or YouTube or what's happening in Hollywood or what comes from the White House. The real story of the world, of the universe, is always centered and is always happening among the people of God. That's the real story because our God is writing this story. It's not what Hollywood says. It's not what you see on YouTube. And there are other things that you can read and hear about and they may have some importance. It may be important to figure out who the number one college team is right now. I don't know. But that's not the real story. The real story is what's happening among the people of God. The story begins here with Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verse 6 says that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. There were just two common people who loved the Lord with all their heart and were faithfully serving him and walking in his ways by God's sovereign grace. And it's these kind of people that the Lord uses. Common people in hopeless situations who faithfully pray and act on his kingdom promises. What really matters to God in the world? What's going on in his people's lives? Are they being obedient? Are they giving evidence through their lives that they serve God and they're a part of his grand story? These are the people that God sees. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were two of those kinds of people. Two common pe- people faithfully serving the Lord. Praying and hoping that his plan would begin to unfold. That the Messiah would come. That Jesus Christ would come to save Israel. And to save a people from every tribe, nation, race, and tongue. So what does this mean for us as we look at them, as we see God's attention on his people? I think for many of us is that we don't need to worry about the state of America. We don't need to worry about what's happening in our country. I've talked to so many Christians who are they're just so distraught about what's happening to our country. What's going to happen to our country? I see it going downhill. The Lord may not preserve America but he will always preserve a people that he will use to accomplish his purpose in this earth. So don't get caught up in what's going to happen to our country and what's happening in the world. God is always going to preserve a people who are a part of his bigger story to see the gospel go to the nations. That's always going to be in effect. We may not be around in a hundred years, but there will be Christians who are taking the gospel around the world because that's the story it's the real story it's the only story that matters the real story is found when common people like us are serving the lord and busy with his story that's what makes the headlines of heaven not that some presidential candidate dropped out not that some college team is number one the headlines of heaven are are the people of god faithfully walking in the lord's ways and they're consumed with getting the gospel message out 
to their neighbors, to their family, to their co-workers, to their city, all the way to the unreached peoples of the world. That's the headlines of heaven. Who's doing that? Who's involved in that story? Here we have two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were righteous and walking blamelessly before their Lord. Two people who were obedient to God's word. Two people who remained faithful and holy in the midst of trying times. And those are the kind of people that God uses to see that his story unfolds in this world today. He uses common people in hopeless positions who faithfully pray and act on his kingdom promises. Well, how were Elizabeth and Zechariah hopeless? Look at verse 7. It says, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have any kids. They were not like the Duggars. They could not get their own show, 20 kids and counting, or whatever number they're up to now, if you know them. They couldn't have any kids. They were barren, and they were old. So hope is lost, unless they adopted. They could have no kids of their own. Children in that day were seen as a blessing from the Lord. Even though we don't think that way today so many times, Children were a blessing. You needed kids because when you got old, you couldn't till the ground and harvest your crops. And you needed kids to take care of you. But today, we're like, ah, children, whatever. Children were a blessing from the Lord. They have always been a blessing from the Lord. And that's one of the reasons why. There are many. So her hopes for having children were dashed so long ago, but her situation is still one that God can work through. Because Elizabeth joins the chorus of women in the Old Testament. And her story echoes their story. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Manoah's wife, and Hannah, all barren women who could have no kids. And Elizabeth joins their chorus. And when we read about Elizabeth, if we're an astute reader and student of the Bible, it begins to tip us off that God is about to do something big again, like he did in the Old Testament when women who couldn't have babies began having babies. And so Luke is tipping us off to the fact that something big is happening now. God's story is unfolding at a whole nother level here. And his divine purposes from eternity past are beginning to unfold in an incredible way. Because his son is about to come into the world. But notice the pattern from scripture that we see from Elizabeth. God often starts where there is no human contribution that can be, can be made. God loves to work through impossibilities. You understand that? Where, there's no, where you can't do a part. You can't contribute to it. God loves to work to those situations. You know why? Because then you can't get the glory. And I can't get the credit. And it all goes to him. That's the kind of situations that God loves to work through. God is looking for common people. Nothing nothing fancy about them. No famous name, no fancy resume or pedigree. He's just looking for people who are faithfully following him. Who oftentimes find themselves in impossible situations. So that he can use them to fulfill his purpose in this world, which is to redeem a people from every tribe, nation, race, and tongue for his glory. That's what the Bible's about. So does your situation seem hopeless today? Find yourself, you may not be in a place where you're barren and can't have kids, but is there a hopeless situation in your life today? You're right where God wants you because he can work through that 
And then he gets glory. So what do you do if you find yourself in an impossible situation, job uncertainty, family crisis, economic catastrophe? What do you need to do? Be faithful. Keep reading the word of God. Keep praying. Keep serving. Keep giving. Keep evangelizing. Keep supporting missionaries. And when you do, you will be in a place that God can use you. Be faithful as your story is happening because it'll segue right into and bleed and intersect with God's story right where you are in your impossible situation. Your story will link up with God's story. One of the ways that you can do that this year is buy these ESV Christmas bags. You don't have to buy them. You can give a dollar if you want to or you can just take as many as you want. But please give away all that you take. It's like the buffet, right? You take all you want, but eat all you take. Take all you want, but use all you take. They're free. If you want to give a dollar for each one donation, great. Hand them out to your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. And if you're a person who's a little scared to talk with people, see these two holes here? You can hang them on your neighbor's door and run. Because <laughs> they'll still get the bag. You just fill out the invitation card, invite them to one of our services. You never know what God's going to do through this. Or, and I forgot to mention it in the last service, you can take the perspectives class. Find out about God's big story. What, what is he doing in the world? What in the world is God doing? He's saving a people for his glory. You want to find out more about that? Sign up. Find out about God's plan from eternity to save people. So there's a couple of practical ways. But so often we find ourselves in impossible situations and we get discouraged and we get down and say, what's God doing in my life? We get frustrated. We have, feel sorry for ourselves. We get angry. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are like a beacon shining to us saying, just stay faithful to the Lord. Just keep serving him no matter what happens in your life. No matter what drama is happening in your life right now, and I know at Christmas time a a lot of drama begins to happen, doesn't it? Setting up the Christmas tree, there can be drama with the kids. Picking out a tree, there can be drama. There can be drama with your in-laws as they come to your house. Lots of drama happening around the Christmas season. But the Christmas drama is unfolding in the midst of your personal drama. As that happens, just start saying, God, will you use me to reach people for your glory? The Lord uses common people in hopeless positions who faithfully pray and act on his kingdom promises. Now look at verses 8 through 17. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. When he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people 
prepared. So as Zechariah goes in to the temple, it was the time of prayer, which occurred at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m., the times of prayer, a burnt offering was offered and then a priest would take incense inside the temple and pour the incense out on the hot uh, burning coals inside there and then smoke would rise up and fill the temple. And this represented the prayers that were going up to the Lord. As, as we heard in the reading there, people were outside the temple praying to the Lord. And Zechariah goes in to pray and, and offer up prayers on behalf of the nation. There was an order of 700 priests who served in this capacity at the temple, 200, or two weeks a year. So every two weeks you had 700 priests there at the temple working. But scholars estimate that there were between several thousand all the way up to 18,000 priests at this time. So you, you possibly have 18,000 priests, and then Zechariah gets chosen by lot to go into the presence of the Lord. And we kind of smirk. We're like, yeah, by lot. He, got, he was chosen by, by God's sovereign choice. Most priests served their whole lives and never had this opportunity to go into the temple to offer incense and to pray, to go into the Holy of Holies. And Zechariah gets chosen by lot to go inside. And I'm sure he's excited because he'll probably never do this again. It was a big moment, but an even bigger moment was he was about to see an angel face to face. But we see in these verses that God graciously answers Zechariah's and the nation's prayer because as Zechariah is there placing the incense on the altar, an angel of the Lord appears. I mean, imagine the scene. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. I imagine him rehearsing the instructions. You go in, you make sure the curtain closes, you carry the incense. I picture him kind of looking around because he's in the Holy of Holies. He knows the Old Testament. He knows that he could be struck down dead at any moment. I picture him walking in, being very cautious. He's going over the rules, puts the incense down, say a prayer, walk away, don't do anything dumb, don't do anything stupid. He's getting there and he looks over and there's an angel of the Lord. And he's scared. Great fear fell on him. He was troubled. And he's thinking he's going to die. He's thinking, maybe I messed up. No, I did it. Make sure the curtain was closed, but it's there. There's an angel. But what does the angel say in verse 13? Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Zechariah's prayer was graciously heard and was going to be answered by the Lord. But what was his prayer? Was he in there praying that Elizabeth would have a child? I would say in the past he used to pray that, but I don't think he was praying it that day. They were old. She was barren. They were old. They were advanced in years. That's Greek for, man, they were old. I don't think he was praying that she would have a child when he went in there. He went in on official business, official capacity. Go in, offer incense, pray for the nation, pray for God to send the Messiah to come redeem us from Rome. So I think he's in there on official capacity, praying for the Messiah to come, not praying for Elizabeth to bear a child. And the people outside were praying for the Messiah to come, I believe. That God's story of redemption would continue. And God heard Zechariah's and Israel's prayer for a Savior. But how would the Savior come? How would Jesus the Messiah come? How would Israel be redeemed? God would answer Zechariah's and the nation's prayer for the Messiah by answering an old prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth. God would answer the prayer to send the Messiah by answering this old prayer that Zechariah and Elizabeth quit praying so long ago. And what was that prayer? That Elizabeth would get pregnant. This outdated prayer with an, 
with the expiration date way behind them, God now answers, which means that there are no expiration dates on prayers, which means you should never stop praying because sometimes God answers the 500th prayer and we stop at 499. I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth had quit praying this prayer for many years because they were old and advanced in years. Yet God was gracious to not only answer Zechariah's prayer on behalf of the nation, but he was graciously answering their prayer for a child. And even more grace is seen when their child would play an integral part in ushering in the Messiah's kingdom. It was all grace. You see, the Lord uses common people in hopeless positions who faithfully pray and act on his kingdom promises. Then the angel tells Zechariah that the boy's name will be John, which means Yahweh is gracious. The Lord is gracious. John will not be like other baby boys, the angel says. Sure, he'll, he'll swing on the monkey bars, he'll fall down and skin his knees, but he's going to be different because he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even while he's in his mother's womb. And then the angel begins to describe the effects of John's ministry. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What does this mean? Some people think it means that John's going to come and there's going to be family reconciliation where kids are estranged from their parents. I don't think that's what it means because in verse 16 it says he will turn many to the Lord. What it means by he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children is that John's ministry will be one that the Lord uses to turn the fathers of the faith who loved Yahweh the sovereign Lord in the Old Testament to the children's hearts. Meaning, the current generation would be turned back to God like the fathers of the faith of Israel in the past. The heart attitude of the faith of the fathers in the Old Testament would come upon the children of Israel. That is grace. The disobedient would be turned to the wisdom of the just. It was a picture of spiritual renewal which was about to take place. It was a picture of God's transforming grace. Because they were the people of God. Their ethnic identity, they were Hebrews. They were Israelite people. They were the people of God. But some of the people of God were not really the people of God, if you know what I mean. They were in the covenant community, but they weren't in it. And the same is true for us today. We can have people that come in here and sit in these pews. And maybe you're a member. Maybe you're very involved. But you're not born again. Because you've never repented of your sins and turn and trust it in Jesus Christ as your treasure in this life and in the next. You've never trusted in his work for you through his life and death and resurrection. So there were people in Israel at that time who were Israelites, but they weren't Israelites in their hearts. And the angel says, John's going to come and his ministry is going to start preparing a way for the Lord to begin turning people's hearts back to Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, and to prepare them for the arrival of the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So here we have God graciously answering the prayers of the nation by answering the prayers of a barren couple. God was going to answer the prayers of of the nation by answering an old prayer for children prayed long ago by a now very old and wrinkled couple. That's grace. And that's what John's name means. Yahweh is gracious. God's story was unfolding just as he planned. 
Two old people's outdated prayers of long ago get answered by God, and he will use their baby to usher in Jesus, the Messiah. You see, the Lord uses common people in hopeless positions who faithfully pray and act on his kingdom promises. Look at verse 18 to 25. Zechariah begins to speak to the angel, which as I was reading this in the last service, it struck me how odd that would be. You're actually having a conversation with an angel. He talks to you and it's like, you talk back? I would be scared. He said, Zechariah said to the angel about his wife becoming pregnant, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So you see, Zechariah is confused. How can these come, things come true, Gabriel? I'm old. Elizabeth is old. And she's barren. We could never have kids at this age. But God was graciously demonstrating his ability to bring about what Gabriel promised and said about Elizabeth by causing Zechariah to go mute. In other words, now get this. The power that would cause Elizabeth to become pregnant was the same power that was about to make Zechariah go mute. How can these things be? Let me show you. You're not going to talk for the next year. The power that would make Elizabeth pregnant is the same power that was going to shut Zechariah's mouth. You want a sign? Here's a sign. You're not going to be able to talk for a year. Gabriel declared that Zechariah would go mute, and he did. Therefore, this was an assurance that God would not only allow him to speak one day, but also that the words concerning John would come true. Elizabeth would have a baby boy. That's grace. That's grace. He comes to Zechariah and says, You want to know how your old, barren wife is going to have a kid? I'm going to show you how. You're not going to be able to talk for a year. It was grace, but it was a gracious correction by God. Understand this, grace, that when God confronts us, he never does it to destroy us. He never does it to make us miserable. He always corrects us out of love in order to change us, and that's what he was doing for Zechariah. It wasn't punitive. It wasn't punishment. It was, I'm going to transform you, Zechariah through this gracious correction. Gabriel the angel told Zechariah how he would know the prophecy would come true. The power that causes you to go mute will be the power that causes your wife to conceive. Verse 21 says that the people were outside waiting on Zechariah to emerge. They're kind of scratching their heads like, what's taking Zech so long? What's he doing in there? Did he die? What's going on? And then Zechariah emerges and he can't talk and he's doing sign language and trying to make things up like, you know, here's me, incense, smoke, angel. <gasps> trying to tell them all this, but he can't speak. They're waiting for him to give the priestly benediction. He can't talk. And they recognize that he had seen a vision. 
And so Zechariah eventually finishes his two weeks in the temple. He goes home to Elizabeth and is like, you know, can't talk. He can only gesture as to what happened. So he does the same thing, coals, smoke, angel. You know, she finally figures out what's happening. But somehow they communicate. And because we know biology, we know what happened between Zechariah and Elizabeth. They knew each other, to use biblical language, because verse 24 says that after this, Elizabeth conceived. They knew each other. We all know what that means, right? Now, understand what their actions signified. As he comes home, he can't talk. He's trying to explain to her, me, you, baby, God, angel. She's scratching her head. You figure out how they got to the point that they knew each other, but they knew each other which means they were acting on God's promises. Zechariah had already experienced transformation because he came home and was intimate with his wife Elizabeth. He was already being transformed. They were acting on God's promises because God said, you're going to have a baby. Here we have a perfect marriage of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God's promise came to them and they didn't just sit back. They acted on it, which we recommend in a marriage. The Lord uses common people in hopeless situations and positions who faithfully pray and act on his kingdom promises. Verse 25 further highlights God's grace because Elizabeth says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God was graciously removing the reproach away from Elizabeth. It was commonly believed in her day that if you couldn't have children, you were under a curse from God, which wasn't true, but people believed that. And she said, I lived my whole life, people whispering about me. She can't have any kids. She must be under a curse from God. And she says, now God is graciously lifting that reproach off of me. See, it was clearly a hopeless position to be in. An old man and an old barren woman, both who probably long ago quit praying for a child, and yet God intervenes. It was clearly a hopeless position to be in. The nation was under the oppression of Rome, waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver them, and God was beginning the process. His story was beginning to unfold. Another chapter was beginning to unfold. And he was using an old, barren couple to begin the process of ushering in his kingdom. The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth remind us that the Lord uses common people in hopeless positions who faithfully pray and act on God's kingdom promises. It didn't seem like the nation would be ever set free from oppressive Rome. It didn't seem like these two godly people would ever make it through their troubles. They certainly never dreamed that they would have kids of their own. But God is faithful. And it may not appear that God is extending his kingdom today, but he is. It may not appear that Jesus is returning again, but he is. The Lord will keep his promises, even when it seems like he isn't doing anything, because he is gracious And it may not seem like God is doing anything in your life, but he is. You may think, I'm in a hopeless position. What's going to happen? God's working. The story is from eternity past. He knows what he's doing. Just wait for him to turn the page. You're a part of his story. 
We are a part of the bigger story. There's more to soccer and t-ball and Starbucks and Christmas presents and whatever. These are all great things that we should enjoy. First Timothy says God gives us all these great things to enjoy. He gives us things to enjoy. Enjoy them. But the bigger story, the real Christmas drama is found in God's eternal story to redeem a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every race for his glory and for those people's joy in him. And God can and will use you in your life to bring this about. Because most of us are common people, right? Anybody feel famous? Does anybody talk about you on Twitter? Does anybody mention you in Facebook? Are you on the front page of Fox News? Were any of you people's 50 most beautiful people of the world this year? We're all common people. Many of us live ho-hum lives. Many of us live week to week for that one show that comes on at 8 o'clock p.m. on whatever, Thursday night, Monday night. Many of us, that's just the highlight of our week. We're just common, ho-hum people. Nothing fancy about any of us. Maybe a few. I'm not in that group. And you may even be in a hopeless situation like Zechariah and Elizabeth. But God can use you to further his story, which is getting the gospel to the nations. The question is, will you faithfully pray and act on his promises? Pray for the gospel to spread at home. Pray for the gospel to spread through your neighborhood. Pray for the gospel to spread at work. Pray for the gospel to spread around the world. Believe the promises of God and act on them. This Christmas season, in the midst of your drama, which some of us will experience, remember the real Christmas drama. Remember the real Christmas story. Remember the real Christmas narrative. Because that's what life is all about. Enjoy all the other things in your life, but there's only one real story that's happening right now. And it's God's story. To redeem a people for His glory. Will you get involved? If you don't, you're sadly missing out on the real story. You'll waste your life. What a shame and travesty that many Christians don't live their lives as a part of God's story. We are here to see the gospel, make it to every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language. That's what your life should be about. When you wake up in the morning, your life should be about the gospel, getting to the nation so that God is glorified and people find their joy in him. That's what life's about, period. That's it. And that's what this church should be about. That's what God's story is all about. The whole Bible is moving. Like a runaway train that you can't stop. It's moving. Are you going to get on board or not? The whole Bible is moving towards this one thing, to see the nations enjoying and glorifying the triune God forever. That's what the Bible's about. That's what life is about. That's what existence is about. When you go to sleep tonight, that story is being written and it is unfolding whether you're passionate about it or not. To see the nations come and glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what the Westminster Catechism says. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what you were made to do.
All the extra stuff is just extra. Play basketball, racquetball, go to Starbucks. It's just extra. You were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And you can do that in all those extra things. But the reason you exist is to glorify Him and to pray that the gospel gets to the nations by praying, by going, by being sent, by handing out ESV Christmas bags, by signing up the Perspectives class, doing your part to see that the nations enjoy Him and then glorify Him forever. That's the real story of life. That's the real Christmas drama. Don't forget it in the midst of your own Christmas drama this season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace that we see in this passage and so many of us have experienced it ourselves. And Some people here need to experience it for the first time, God. I ask that you would draw people to yourself who don't know you, that you would grant them repentance leading to salvation. For those of us that do know you, God, would you become the passion of our life again, that we would be concerned about the grand story that it is happening. I pray that we wouldn't close the book on our own lives. God, how boring. How boring that life would be about me. That's boring, God. How boring that life would be about anyone here. I pray that the chapters of our lives would segue into your book and that you would change us and make us a people who are passionate about seeing the nations glorify you and enjoy you forever. Help us by your spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.